Yes, this morning we definitely need him and we're depending on him by the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us this morning. And we're continuing with Hebrews. Um, I'm just aware this water could fall. Um, yep, we're okay. We're live stream now. It's apologies for last week. It didn't go out in live stream, but all being well, it's going out this morning. So we welcome anybody that's just tuned into us live. Isn't that something? Uh, so we're going to continue with Hebrews. We're going to look um, at chapter 3. And the first word that it says in chapter 3 is, therefore. And uh, Philip Emerson uh, always says that when you read therefore, you've got to ask what it's there for. <laughs> so we know that it's therefore because of all that has gone before. So if you've been coming for the past two or three weeks, you will know the richness of what God has done for us, how Jesus humbled himself and came to earth and died for our sins. And just a beautiful a truce of chapters 1 and 2 of Hebrews. So we'll go into chapter 3 and it says, Therefore, holy brothers, and we said last week that when we speak about brethren or brothers in the Bible, it also includes sisters. So we're taking a bit of license and we're going to say, Therefore, holy sisters. All right? Partakers of the heavenly calling. Now, in, a, in the Amplified Version, it says, Consecrated. And to be consecrated means to be set apart for God. It says consecrated, we have a heavenly calling. So partakers uh, of the heavenly calling as the idea of being consecrated, set apart for a heavenly calling. And so the title of our talk today is You Are Called to Be Part of God's Big Story. Because you see, the Lord loves you and has always loved you and has always wanted you to be part of his big story. And the Bible starts off in the beginning where we know the whole story about how man fell into sin and turned away from God. But the story of redemption runs throughout the entire Bible. And, and God is saying to us here very, very clearly that the chapters we've looked back on show us about the Old Testament and show us about what God did and about how much greater God is than any of the angels or the Old Testament saints or anything else. And we're to be partakers. We're to take the step of saying, God, here I am. I'm available. I want to be consecrated. I want to set myself aside that I can join in and be part of your big story. And that's what I want to get across to us today. The thrill and the joy and the privilege of being able to be partakers, to be part of the big story that God has planned. And I suppose the question that I ask you right now, and we've written it in your notes, is have you deliberately set yourself apart from God? Has there been a moment where you've said, Lord, I want to give you all I have. I've received you as my saviour. I know that Jesus, you died for my sins. I know my sins were laid on you. I know that you died for me in the cross. I receive you as my saviour and I want to make you my Lord and my all. I want to give you everything I have. God longs to hear us saying those words. God, here I am. Take me. I want to set myself aside for you. I want to run the race that you've set for me. I want to do everything you've called me to do. I want to be part of the big story that you've planned for my life. And so that's the first question. Have you deliberately set yourself apart from, for God? Have you said, Lord, I want to be consecrated, Lord, for you? That's an old-fashioned word, but it means set yourself apart. Give yourself over entirely to God. The second question is, are you consciously living in your heavenly calling right now? Do you believe that you're right where God wants you to be and you're part of what God wants you to be? That's a, a great place and I believe God wants to speak to us about that this morning. Because you see, God wants you to enjoy being part of his big redemptive story. So let's just continue to read uh, the next couple of verses. Therefore, holy sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now, I've written in your notes here, consider Jesus. And we need to do that because after all, he is the main character in the story. He is the one that we look to. He is the one that this redemptive story is all about. And it calls him an apostle 
and it calls him a high priest. And very, very simply, as we take a moment to look at Jesus, we realize that as an apostle, he is the sent one who came from God. God sent him to show us what God was like. And so he is the one who was sent by God to represent God to us. But he's also our high priest. And a high priest is someone who represents us to God. So he's both, he represents God to, to us and he represents us to God. He's the go-between. He's the one who, whom God has sent to be our apostle and our high priest. He's the main character and the story. And then it goes on to say, uh, let's read it again. Therefore, holy sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. So Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him to come to this earth. And he was faithful just as Moses also was faithful in his house. So we see straight off that the writer to the Hebrews, and we don't know who that is, but the writer to the Hebrews is comparing Moses to Jesus. Remember that Hebrews was a book that was written to Jewish believers who knew all of the Old Testament, all of the Jewish rites and all the feasts and all of the, the things that they went through. And the temptation at this particular time in their life was to slip back into old ways, Old Testament ways, and to get more entangled with Moses and all those different um, feasts and rules and regulations than to get involved with Jesus. And so the writer is, is comparing Moses to Jesus. And he wants them to understand that Moses was great. He was a servant and he did a great job and he was faithful. He was a great man. But he's getting the point across, Jesus is greater. And we need to uplift the name of Jesus. And that's what we want to do today. And so I was about to race on through this through the week. Girls, I was flying. I had, was typing up, spent a few hours typing up. And I was sailing. I was way down the bottom of this chapter nearly. And I just felt like God just pulled the reins right back. And he just said, no, you just need to stick with those first few verses. Because I want you to look at me and Moses. Right? So you're ready to have a look at Moses. And then have a look at the Lord. So we're going to just remind, I'm going to tell you the story now, um, just a little bit about Moses. And we're going to see, as we go through this story of Moses, we won't have time to read all the verses, but we'll get the big picture of Moses. And I believe as we get the big picture that God wants to speak to us individually about Jesus. And at the end of this talk today, I believe God wants you to understand that you're just as much a part of this big story as Moses was. Isn't that incredible? You are such an integral part of what God wants to do in the bigger picture in his big story of redemption. So the first thing we need to remind ourselves, and again we're going from memory here, we won't be reading an awful lot through these verses, but I think most of you will know that whenever Moses was born, we'll read about it in the first few chapters of Exodus, remember that whenever Moses was born, he was born in a time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Remember, we all remember that. And remember that his mother uh, had, had him and Pharaoh, who was afraid of the Jewish uh, people because he was afraid they were going to, they were, they were, they were breeding like, like rabbits. They were, they'd, they'd moved from just being a handful of people to being a huge you know, number of people, so many, many families. And they were really breathing big time. God was giving them favour with many children. And so Pharaoh was afraid of them that they would over, that there would be a rebellion, that they might take over Egypt. And so he started to, he made a law that all the babies that were born to the Hebrew children, the Jewish children, that they would be drowned in the River Nile or they would be killed. And you know, we all know that story. And everybody knows the story about Moses, don't they? About how his mother put him into that little ark, made the little ark out of bulrushes. And uh, can you imagine, I always imagine her praying to God. She knew the Lord Jehovah, she knew God. And, and seeing her, you know, the God of Israel. And I can imagine her putting that little baby into the basket, into the little basket, putting the pits around it to make sure the water wouldn't get in and slipping it into the bulrushes. And you know, every time I tell that story, I'm always reminded of how God wants us to hand over everything to him. You know, she could have been so fearful to let that baby go that she would have just allowed him to be, to be taken by Pharaoh and to be, to be killed. But she released him. 
Can you see the moment that she put him into the bulrushes and she knees down and there's a moment comes where she's got to take her hand off that, off that little basket. There's a moment comes where she has to trust God with the destiny of this child. And I just sensed this morning, and, I, and funny enough, I was lying in bed last night, and I really felt like God was saying that there's somebody here and you need to release some things. And it's almost like I felt in bed last night like God was saying, there's somebody here and they need to know I can take care of the baby, whatever that might be. That God wants you to release and to let go of and to step back. Moses' mother stepped back and left the baby in the bulrushes. Now, the, his sister Miriam was watching from a distance, and when Pharaoh's daughter came down, you know the story, I love this, the story's amazing, isn't it? When Pharaoh's daughter came down and, and looked at the baby and, and, and saw him, and he probably started to cry, and her heart went out to him, and she lifted the baby and wanted to keep him as her own son and bring him up in the palace. Remember the amazing story how God had Miriam, Moses' sister, just in the right place, to say, oh, you need someone to, you know, and those, I was thinking last night in bed, is that long since I've had baby food? What do you call baby food now? Is it pound gate or something? It used to be pound gate. There was no such thing as going up to the chemist and getting some baby food in a tin. You know, you had to look for a wet nurse. And so Moses' sister, Miriam, she runs up and she says, are you looking for somebody to feed the baby? And the, 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 the princess says, yes. And Miriam runs, how clever she was. She runs and she brings back Moses' mother. Can you imagine the joy on this mother's face when she realised what God had done, that God had not only rescued her baby, but brought him into the palace. And not only that, but God had actually allowed her to bring this child up and to feed this baby. And can you imagine those early years of Moses' life, how that, how that mother taught him the word of God and taught him his history about the God of Israel and taught him about all the things that were written and all the prophecies. Moses heard about God from his mother's knee because God took care of it. And I just sense this morning that God wants you to know, let whatever that is that you're holding on to, let it go and trust God to take care of it. So we see that, that this is what happened and then of course we all know the story how Moses grew up and when he grew up, remember, he saw that the, that the Egyptians were, were treating one of his own people, one of the Hebrew slaves. They were treating them very harshly, and many of the slaves would have died under the whip. And so Moses, the anger rises up in him, and instead of trusting God with the situation, he goes in and he actually kills one of the Egyptians. And then he realizes what he's done, and he has to flee the country. And he runs out into the wilderness, where he's going to be for 40 years. So we see that, that Moses started off, and we're going to see in a moment or two, that Jesus also was born into a world at a time whenever King Herod, remember he put the, the law out that all the babies would be killed under two years old. So we see some similarities there. But here's Moses, and he has grown up in the palace. He's had all the privileges of the palace. And after, um, after killing this Egyptian, he runs out into the wilderness, and he's going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And the heading I've put on your notes says, the wilderness was a time of preparation for, for Moses. I want to say to you today, if you feel you're in a wilderness situation, I'll tell you, if you look to God and start praising him, and we were talking about this in the prayer room this morning about praising, look to him and start trusting. You'll be amazed at how God will prepare you in your wilderness. If it seems like it's a really dry place, a very difficult place for you right now, then you've got to know that God's there. And so in the wilderness, Moses was there for 40 years. And at the end of 40 years, Again, we know this story so well. He's walking past this bush one day and he sees the bush on fire. Now, I'm told that uh, apparently there is a, a, a bush uh, that grows in that part of the world, in the desert, that actually looks as if it is on fire. It kind of, in fact, it might even go into fire, I'm not sure. But anyway, as, as Philip, I love to quote Philip Emerson, he always says such wise things. He says, I wonder how many other bushes Moses walked past before he actually saw that one. Maybe God was trying to get his attention for a long time. Wonder how many times has God tried to get your attention before you stop and take notice? Because that particular day, Moses noticed the bush, and the Bible says he turned aside to see what was in the bush. 
You stopped. I wonder if God's trying to get your attention. But you've been walking past stuff and you've been just disregarding. He's been, he's been sending all kinds of messages to you, but you've been disregarding them. But he wants to get your attention this morning. God wants you to know that he wants an encounter with you, I believe, this morning. And so when Moses realizes that the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed, it's not burning up. There's flames in it. And, and again, that is exactly what God wants to do with your life. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit, fill you with the fire of God to make you burn with, with heavenly, divine, spiritual energy. God wants to fill you with fire, but not to destroy you. And that's exactly what was happening to this bush. And of course, whenever, whenever um, God spoke to Moses, uh, Moses, God gives Moses the call that he wants him to go back to Pharaoh and uh, he says in verse 10 of uh, Exodus 3 come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt but Moses said to God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and so God said I will certainly be with you and I and this shall be the sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the, the Lord, Lord God on this mountain. Then Moses goes on to say at the end of verse 13, he said, eh, what, what, what is your name? What shall I say unto them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall, shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Can you, can you just see Moses, his wee knees knocking, apparently had a wee bit of a speech problem. I'm not sure if it was an impediment or what it was, or nerves or whatever. But he had some kind of a problem, we're told, with his speech. And he's saying to God, but, but you know, are you really sending me? You know, who will even say ascending? Who will say ascending me? And God speaks to him and he says, I am Yahweh. I am, I am the I am. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, it's really, really interesting because this morning I had been thinking about this and thinking how, you know, God wants us to have a, a, an encounter for the moment. And uh, here in the prayer room, up pipes Susan Calvert this morning with a wee thing that she had grabbed this morning, thought it was for today. And I believe this is a word for you today. And let me read it to you. I was regretting the past and fearing the future. Now, do you think that Moses... Out in the wilderness, do you think there was some regret about the past? After all, he had killed that man and he had run away. He had run away from Egypt, he had run away from his family, he had run away from everything. And here he was out, the Bible talks about the backside of the desert. Do you think there was some regret in his life? I wonder if you're at a place where there's some regret in your life. It says here, I was regretting the past and fearing the future. I wonder, was Moses... Was there a fear about what was going to happen? Was he going to spend the rest of his days in this wilderness? I wonder, was there that sense of fear? What's going to happen to me? And I, I just sense this morning that amongst all of you people here today, you lovely ladies, that among you there is a fear of the future. And God doesn't want you or me to be afraid of the future. And then it goes on to say, Suddenly, my Lord was speaking. Here's what the Lord said. My name is I am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard. But I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it is hard. I am not there. My name is my name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it is not hard because I am here and my name is I am. And so this morning I want to say to you, you know, if you're in a situation with regrets, don't live in the past. He is the God of the I am. He's the God of the moment. And if you're living with fears for the future, don't be living in the future. Live in the present. Live in the I am. He's with you right now. You don't have to be afraid in this moment. You trust him for everything. And so in this moment of encounter, God sends Moses back to Egypt to fulfill the commission that God is giving him to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Whenever I used to, I used to teach the kids in school, I used to teach them a thing called Bible Explorer. 
and there was a bit in it where uh, you acted, they dressed the kids up and they went and did different things and then the different hand signs and then it came to this bit where Moses came and he got all the kids to put their hands up to their mouth and to shout, let my people go! The kids used to love to shout that and then we would put the hands across and go, no! Because Pharaoh said no every time. And so after, you know, having time to go into all those plagues and everything, but all those signs and wonders, Pharaoh continued to say no. And then, of course, we know what happened, how uh, Moses then was told, God told him, tell the children of Israel to bring the Passover lamb, to bring a lamb that is without spot or blemish, and to, to bring it uh, and, and to sacrifice it. And the Lord was saying to Moses, I want you to put the blood on the doorposts of your house. It's across the top and down the sides. And, and he was saying, I'm going to send the, the destroying angels going to go over every house in Egypt. But every house that has the blood on it will be safe. And so we, we know the story. We haven't time to go into it. Wonderful story that it is where this little innocent lamb was killed and sacrificed and the blood was put on the door and when the destroying angel went throughout the land of Egypt, all of the Egyptians who had no blood on the door, all of them, the firstborn child died that night and the next morning the Egyptians were so ready to let Israel go that they literally nearly shoved them out of the country and almost, they reckon around two million Israelites, two million Hebrews, uh, men, women and children took off that night carrying everything they belonged and heading out into the wilderness, into the desert to, to move out of Egypt because God was taking them out of slavery. Now last week we looked at how God wants us to be free from bondage and free from slavery and I want to tell you that the reason you and I are free is because of what Jesus did. He was the fulfilment of the Passover lamb. Remember John the Baptist stood on the Jordan and pointed at Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus was our Passover lamb. And it wasn't just uh, that we would, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't just only to save us, it was to save us, but it was to do more than that. It was to get us up and going on our feet and to get moving into the journey that God has for us. God has a plan for your life. He doesn't want you to sit in bondage in Egypt. He wants you to get up and get out. And the children of Israel got out, all of them, two million of them that night, heading across the desert. And as they went, uh, they, they kept going. Uh, and they, apparently they left, they can, they can work it out according to the year. They left on a Thursday and some days later they arrived at the Red Sea. And of course we all know the story how uh, Pharaoh's uh, and, and his all, the, all his men, Pharaoh decided, what on earth did I let those people go for? What did I let them? That's the workforce of Israel. How come I let them go? And so he, he got his army to go after the Israelites. And of course you all know how they, they came right up behind them at the Red Sea and had them trapped. I want to say to you today that Pharaoh is a very, very, a very, very precise picture of what Satan wants to do in your life. Because when you get saved, Satan does not want you to start that journey with God and to move towards freedom and the fulfillment of God's promises for your life. And I want to tell you that if you've got saved and asked Jesus to be your saviour, he will try to come after you to stop you to bring you back into bondage. He does not want God's people to be free. But God says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so, can you get the picture? Moses and all the children of Israel are encamped and they've got all these Egyptians behind them and they've got the Red Sea in front of them and they're panicking and all the people are panicking and God speaks to Moses and says, put your rod out over the sea. And of course, we know the amazing story of how God, the east wind blew all night. I believe it blew all night because it was drying up the ground as it blew and the, wa the wall of water on either side for the children of Israel to step in and to walk through. And I want to tell you that when Satan's hot on your heels and you can feel him nearly breathing down your neck and you just think, what's going on with my life? What are all these troubles and all these problems? I want to tell you that God can still make a way for you through the sea. I want to tell you that God can take you through and make a way where there seems to be no way. And it says that that, that night that they crossed over. Apparently, I heard recently that if there was 5,000 abreast, 5,000 abreast, 
if they all stepped into the sea and walked continuously all night, all two million of them would have crossed over. Isn't that incredible? And on the morning of the next day, when they stepped up to the other side, they stepped out of the bed of the Red Sea and they stepped onto dry land. It was a Sunday. They worked it out. It was a Sunday that they crossed. Reminds me of Jesus being the Passover lamb who died for our sins, who was crucified on the cross, who gave his blood that we could, by his blood, we could be covered and the enemy of no legal right over us. And it reminds me of how Jesus went into death and through almost like a picture of the Red Sea. It's amazing, isn't it? On the Sunday, how he came up and out the other side. What an amazing picture of victory. And Jesus has gained the victory for us through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection. No wonder at a later point it says that, that Moses, when the children of Israel went through with them, it tells us, and we'll look at it later, it tells us that it was almost like they were buried in baptism with Moses into the Old Testament way of things. But it's a picture for us of how Jesus has gone through death for us and out the other end. And so we are baptised into Christ. Isn't that amazing? And so we have victory. Is, is our, victory is your middle name. Write that down. Victory is your middle name. Just call yourself Victoria. <laughs> I just think it's amazing that when those Israelites stepped up on the bank and looked back and they saw the Egyptians on the other side, it says that the Egyptians thought they could go into the, into the bed of the Red Sea as well. It says that they stepped in, they thought they could still go after them. You know, Satan thinks he can keep going after you, but you know what, there's a moment comes where God destroys him. And they, and, and they looked back and as the Egyptians, with all their chariots, rode into the Red Sea, still pursuing them, what happened? God spoke to the, the wall of water on either side, and as that crashed down over the Egyptians, it says that the Israelites saw the Egyptians no more. Now, I want to say to you that I believe that there are certain things in our lives that the enemy tries to bring back on us, you know, like stuff that just keeps getting you. Would you agree with me? There are certain things that still annoy you and, and the enemy can use to come and try and pull you back into bondage. Certain worries and certain fears and certain, just things that are unique to you. And I want to tell you that God wants you to see that when you step across trusting him, he wants you to come out the other side and he wants you to look around and see that your past has been wiped away. It was the end of the Egyptians. They weren't going to see them anymore. And God doesn't want your past to be coming back to haunt you over and over and over again. He wants you to allow him to obliterate the past so that you might run forward. That you can leave those things that are behind and look towards what God's calling you to and go towards it. That was a defining moment for the Israelites. Would you agree with me? And God wants you and me by faith to look back and say, God, I'm not, I don't believe you want me to keep being pulled back into slavery and, and these old wrong mindsets again and again and again. You want me to let, let it go and have it covered and let it, leave it. Just leave it and move on because God wants to set you free. And so this is the, the story of what happened to the children of Israel. Now, it wasn't long after that when they left it wasn't long after that till they began to um, complain because the first place they came to was a place called Mara, where the waters, there was some kind of, it talks about bitterness in the waters, I'm not sure if it was some kind of defilement or some kind of poison or something in the waters, but they couldn't drink the water there and so they were gasping with thirst and they started to complain. But it's very, very interesting because this complaining and grumbling was going to characterise them on the most of their journey. And, and I just want to speak to you today about the difference between giving thanks and complaining. Because so often we just moan and complain. Would you agree with me? And you know, all that does is just pull us down and it just, it doesn't get us anywhere and it doesn't please God at all. And so they were, they started this mumbling and rumbling and complaining 
And the Lord showed Moses a tree and told him to put the tree into the water. And as soon as he put the tree into the water, the waters were healed. And I think very early on, that's a beautiful picture of the power of the cross. Whenever there's things in life that cause bitterness and could cause us to be bitter, when we remember what God has done for us, when we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us, it takes the bitterness out of life. And you know, there's nothing as bad or as ugly as someone who is full of bitterness. Would you agree with me? Bitterness just corrodes and corrupts. And bitterness starts with grumbling and it starts with complaining. And before we know, we're becoming a bitter old woman. We don't want to be like that. God wants us to be full of the complete opposite. He wants, because bitterness, I just see bitterness like rust. It corrodes and it rusts us up and it stiffens us up like the tin man. You know the tin man on the, on the, on the yellow road, if you call it? You know, rust it up. Bitterness will do that to you. It'll, it'll rob you of your, of your joy and your praise and your flexibility. Bitterness is an awful thing. And the power of the cross, when we see what Jesus did for us. And so this is the first mention of God as being healer. And it's, God is referred to as Jehovah or Yahweh Rapha, which means the Lord is our healer. And I love this. I love the fact that, that God is your healer and my healer. Isn't that amazing that he wants to heal us? emotionally, physically, spiritually, he wants us to know real healing. And so this was the first encounter they had. And I'm, I know I'm, I'm rambling on with this story, and we'll read some scriptures in a moment, but I want, I want to get this big picture of what happened, the story. And so after, after God um, uh, heals the waters at Marah, then later on they're complaining about being hungry, and he rains them down bread from heaven. They called it manna. Manna means what is it? You imagine it land the ground. What is it? What is that? It's manna. It's food. And God actually rained manna down for them. And also, on another occasion, and I've given you references there, Exodus 15, right through chapter 16 and chapter 17. We haven't time to read them all. But on another occasion, the Israelites were so thirsty that they were actually about to kill Moses. Now, I just want to ask you this question. How does, it, how does it come that after these people being so dramatically delivered out of Egypt, out of a place of slavery, in such a dramatic way, imagine they were not only brought out of slavery, but they were taken through the Red Sea. I mean, the sea opened up for them. God did a huge thing. And just, we're talking days here, days later, they're forgetting all about the big things that God has done. And they're starting to complain about the small things. They're letting the niggles, and like we're, having, we're a bit thirsty today. Oh, we're going to kill Moses because we can't. And they're taking their eyes off God onto Moses. And they're starting to complain and be an unthankful people. And a people who are just bitter and complaining. And they were so angry at Moses. They're taking their eyes off God completely. No longer were they looking to God to help them. They were so angry at Moses, it says they were about to stone him. And so God spoke to Moses and God said to Moses, take your rod and strike the rock. And whenever he struck the rock, the waters came out of the rock. And we're going to see later on in, in 1 Corinthians 10 that that was a picture of Christ. The rock was a picture. The rock that seemed to be in the Old Testament with the, with the Israelites as they travelled through the wilderness was a picture of Christ. Do you know what it speaks of? It speaks of how Christ was struck by his father. He was smitten of God and afflicted, we're told, in Isaiah 52. Why? For you and me. For our grumbles, for our complaining, for our sinfulness, for our selfishness. He was struck, he was smitten and afflicted for you and for me. So that we might be healed, that we might have spiritual drink, that we might have the Holy Spirit flowing up through us. Remember Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as being a living water, a living river, a fountain bursting up inside. Remember he told the woman at the well, he said, I'll give you water that you'll never run dry. And this is what God has promised to us, his children, that he wants that source of his love and his Holy Spirit to fill us like a gushing river, like a fountain inside us. 
that we can know the joy of that every day and that we can and remember the manna the manna spoke of jesus as well as the water because the manna remember jesus said i am the bread of life he came he was he was he was the bread from heaven he was himself his body that's why we break the bread and we drink because we remember that he gave his body for us and he also died for us and shed his blood for us i'll throw that over there so um we're getting warmed up here, so that's a good sign. <laughs> so, yeah, we see that, that uh, all of these things, uh, all of these things show um, our pictures. And I want you to see that as we compare Moses and Jesus, that we will see the comparisons and we're going to see how all of, everything that happened in the Old Testament with Moses was a prophetic picture of what Jesus was going to do, only do far, in a far greater way. Because on another occasion, and I must tell you that I had been, after God kind of pulled me back and said, don't be racing on to the end of chapter 3, just do those first six verses. When I started to, to think that way and, and begin to pray and ask him to help me then what he wanted to say, there was one night last week, I think it was, it was, I think it was Saturday night, early hours of Sunday morning, and whenever I woke up, I found myself thinking about these verses. Do you ever come out of sleep and you're you're thinking about verses, you're thinking about a story, and it was almost like it was almost like it was being preached in my head. So whenever that happens to me, I always know that there's a reason God wants to to, to give this word. So I'm going to tell you this little story, and I'm going to I'm going to just um, bring it to you because I believe there's something in this for somebody maybe in particular today. This is another time whenever the people rebelled against God because they'd been bitten by serpents. And if you remember that they were, the people were actually dying because the serpents and the snakes had bitten them. And God, again, the people had, the people had been grumbling against God. And, uh, and God told Moses to put a serpent up made of brass and to put it up on a pole. And that everybody, who, anyone who would look at that serpent, that they would be healed from the bite of the serpent. And you know, during the night in the early hours of Sunday morning, that, that story was going through my mind and I could just see, I just knew what God wanted me to say. I knew that God was saying that, that it was really important that we bring this to you. Because you know what? There's still a serpent slithering around, his name's Satan. And he will bite you. And he will try to, to bring uh, pain into your life. And he'll try to destroy you. Jesus said he came to kill and to steal and to destroy. So he is a real evil person and he is against us but you see jesus whenever he met um remember he he, he spoke to uh, to um, not Zacchaeus, uh, nicodemus in john chapter 3 do you remember what he said to nicodemus remember nicodemus wanted to know about god and stuff and he had this conversation at night time and jesus said to him just as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus himself realised that the serpent away back in the wilderness with Moses was actually a picture of him being lifted up on the cross, was actually a picture of what he would do to save humanity. And, and the, the, the story behind it is, if you would just look, you would live. And you know, as I was thinking about this, I started thinking about a story that I heard many years ago, and maybe some of you have heard this story as well, it's a true story. It's about a young man who many, many years ago, probably um, in the last century, I'm not too sure exactly when he was 18 or 19 something, but anyway, this, this guy <coughs> was going to church one morning and it was a blizzard, and uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't get to his own church, and he saw this wee church, and he just turned into it. And there was nobody really there, one or two, I think. And the preacher, the minister, had got caught up in the snowstorm and didn't make it. So some wee man stood up and he read a verse from Isaiah 45. Look unto me and, uh, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And he started just, he couldn't, apparently this wee man hadn't even got proper you know, he wasn't that great at talking, he hadn't, he hadn't good grammar, he was very unscholarly, he certainly wasn't, a, certainly wasn't a minister, he wasn't very very fluent or very articulate, but all he could do was repeat this. So he kept repeating this, and then he would, I think he would tell a bit about the story, you know, of, of, uh, of the, the serpents and how the serpent was on the pole, and, and, and he kept repeating, look and live, 
look and live. And he said, Jesus died on the cross, just look and live. And this went on, and, and he really wasn't, he was just repeating stuff and trying to fill the time in. But this young man was standing there anyway, and at one point, this wee preacher stood up, and he just pointed down to the young man, and he said, young man, you look miserable. Would you just look and live? And this guy told the story later, how all of a sudden, he just got a picture of Jesus on the cross. And he realised that Jesus became sin for him. See, the serpent is a picture of sin. And Jesus, we're told, on the cross, was made sin for us. He didn't know sin, but he actually was made to become sin for us. Isn't that incredible? And if we just look at that with the eyes of faith, and this man, this young guy, just looked and he realised that Jesus had died for him and, and become sin for him, that he could be free. And at that moment, he says, he just received Jesus by faith. Do you know who that young man was? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher who was known as the Prince of Peace Preachers. And he preached, and to this day, to this day, his works are read. I have, William's father has come back to the Lord after 20 years. Imagine that, guys. And he is ringing all the time and telling me about, about God. And he, he just sends me nearly every day and getting something from Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon's writings were incredible. Very articulate man. The prince of preachers. And he came to faith in Jesus through some wee man just saying, look and live. And you know, maybe there's somebody here today and you're in a place where you're looking at all the wrong things. Maybe you're looking at all the negative things in your life. You're looking at, you know, this has gone wrong and that's gone wrong. And you're looking at the big problems instead of looking to Christ. And when you get your eyes on him, it's like, it's like Peter walking on the water. So long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to keep above the water. But the minute he looked at the waves and took his eyes off Jesus, he started to go down. And I'm telling you today, if you feel that you're sinking, it's time you got your eyes back onto Jesus and realize that you can live and you can walk on water when you keep your eyes fixed on him. Don't look at those big things around you. Just keep trusting him. And so we see that all of these things all were pointing to Jesus. And then, of course, we know that Moses, when they got into the, into the wilderness, into the desert, remember, eventually they came to Mount Sinai and he went up the mountain. And you remember God gave him the law and not only the Ten Commandments, but he gave him all the instructions about the lifestyle of the Israelites. He gave him all the instructions about how the priests were to, what, exactly what their clothes were. He gave them all the instructions of exactly how they were to build the tabernacle. He gave them all the instructions about the feasts and how they were to fill their year with all these different feasts. Listen, every single one of those things pointed to Christ. The tabernacle, in every detail, if you do a detailed study, it's an amazing picture of Christ. The robes on the priest are an amazing picture of Christ and his high, Christ as our high priest. All those pieces of, of clothing all speak of Christ. It's amazing. And all of that was given to Moses up on the mountaintop. And when he came down, his face was shining. Because he had an encounter with the living God. And so we see that he was, Moses was a great man. And he was through, on the top of the mountain, God told him how the Israelites were to sacrifice animals and through bringing a sacrifice of blood, how their sins could be covered over. And, and they went through this whole thing with the tabernacle in the wilderness, a huge tent in the wilderness, made to the exact specifications, exactly as God gave to Moses. So Moses was an amazing man. But listen, Jesus was greater than Moses. And the Bible says that Moses himself said in Acts 7, 37, it says, Moses said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, and him you shall hear. So Moses knew that God was going to send somebody greater than him. And Moses knew that, that they would need to listen to this person. Because you see, Jesus in so many ways experienced the same thing as Moses. Remember, we've already said it. Jesus was born at a time when the babies were being killed, all under two years of age, very similar to Moses. Remember, Moses was taken into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. And Moses came out of the wilderness to go and do what God had told him to do. Jesus came out of the wilderness after the temptation, ready, it says he came out in the power of the Spirit, 
to do all that God had called him to do and to bring salvation to the world. Jesus was the true Passover lamb whose blood was shed for us. But he also fulfilled the rock, we've already said that, that, that Moses struck. And he also fulfilled the serpent that was lifted up. We've seen that already. But you see, Paul warns us not to be like Israel. And I wanted just to read this to you. And it's a little bit complicated, but I think there's something in this going to be just, I think it's important. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 6, I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, and don't worry if you don't just get it all, because we'll, I believe God will help us. It says, Moreover, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So they're speaking to the Israelites. How, you remember that there was a cloud came down and, and covered them during the daytime and the fire by night to keep them away from the, from the Egyptians. And then they went into the, the sea, they went through the bed of the sea with the water on either side. And it says all of the Israelites you know, passed through this sea and it says they were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. So we've already said that, the manna and the drink from the rock. It says, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So this gives us, this gives us authority to say that this is all a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And it says, um, now with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolatries as were some of them. What's the lesson for us? The lesson for us is that they, they actually turned away from God and they started to go after their own ways and their own desires and they lusted after other things. They turned to worldly things instead of continuing to trust in God. And because of that, a lot of them, God wasn't pleased with them and they ended up not going into their spiritual destiny. They ended up dying in the wilderness. They were saved out of Egypt, but they died in the wilderness. And that's what I feel God wants to say to you and to me today. That we, we have so, so much greater than Moses because we're baptised into Christ. We have, we have, we're part of his death and burial and resurrection. We didn't go through the Red Sea, but we are part of his resurrection. And we are baptised into Christ. And there's a call in our lives to keep going and not to be taken this way or that way, not to be pulled aside with wrong thoughts or, or selfish desires or, or to be looking to out of fear or doubt or all of those things that Israel was guilty of. He's saying, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to get your spiritual destiny. God has promises for you. He's saying, come into the promises that I have for you. There's a promised land for your life to go into. And so God wants you to, to experience what it is to be partakers of the big picture because your life is part of that big picture. Now, does that make sense? That there is a warning here for us not to miss it. And this is what I really want to bring to you today, that God does not want you to miss what he has for you because Jesus had greater glory than Moses. Remember, Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments and all the other law and all the instructions from God. When he came down, his face was shining. Listen, when Jesus took his disciples up on the mountain, and there's a bit of a debate whether it was Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon. I personally think it was Mount Hermon. We have been to both of those mountains in Israel. And you go up to, to Mount Tabor, you can actually, buses would drive you around in circles to get to the top of it. And that's a traditional place where they say that Jesus took his disciples up on the mount. I personally think it was Hermon. There's a lot of the time of the year, there's snow up on the top of Hermon. And I, I think that it was a very high mountain. And I, for my own reasons, I think that's where it was. But anyway, it doesn't matter where it was. The fact is that, that Jesus took his disciples to the top of this mountain. And as he was there, he changed in appearance before them. Do you remember? It says he became, he was transfigured, it says, before them. Now, the meaning in the original language is that it was like there was flashes going out from him. Can you imagine? You see, Moses had glory on his face when he came down from the presence of God, just getting the law. But Jesus was so much greater. He brings them up and the, the, the glory is flashing out of him. There's glory flashing everywhere. And the disciples are absolutely astounded. And he's actually standing talking to Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Isn't that incredible? 
This is the God who is so much greater than Moses, whose glory is just flowing out of him, emanating out of him, his entire body flashing with glory. And God, God, uh, God, Jesus was God on top of the mountain. You see, we can look at this and we can say, well, you know, Moses gave the law. He was a lawgiver. But Jesus fulfilled the law because he was the law. He was God. Moses was a man who, 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 who was a servant, we're told. Let's read the rest of these verses because I'm getting so carried away with myself here. I've forgotten to read the verse. Right, get back to chapter 3 and we'll catch up here now. Let me read it from the beginning again. Therefore, holy sisters, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, right? Inasmuch as he who has built the house has more honour than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ has a son over his own house. Now listen to this whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. What is this saying? It's saying that Moses was faithful as a servant, looked after the tabernacle, looked after the whole household of faith in the Old Testament. But Jesus was faithful and is faithful as the Son of God, as the one who is over all things, as the one who made the house, the one who owns the house, the one who rules the house. Moses brought the law, which just brought us condemnation, because we could never keep the law. But Jesus brought the Holy Spirit to give us the power to keep the law. Isn't it amazing that God wants us to know what it is to belong to Jesus? And there's a lovely chapter in verses in 2 Corinthians 3, when we read it in a moment, where it talks about how as we keep looking at him, we keep looking at his glory, we are changed from glory to glory. Isn't that amazing? Moses went up and he, he, got, he got the Ten Commandments and the law and all of that was, was powerful stuff. And he came down, his face was shining, and he put a veil over his face because the people couldn't look at him. And yet the more that we look at Jesus and see his glory and see how beautiful he is, we actually become changed. That people can see the light of the glory of God in our faces. Isn't that awesome that God wants us to be changed from one level of glory to the other? So what does this mean for all of us as we begin to wind up? What does it mean about your story? Well, I believe all of this means that God wants you to know that you have a part in this big story, that your story is important. And I believe God wants you to know that he has given you the power of his Holy Spirit to fulfill all that he has called you to do. You see... I think a lot of us underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit within us. I was telling the girls earlier in the prayer room about a friend of mine who uh, yesterday sent me a text and said, I've just realised that the Holy Spirit's living in me and I'm running about the house here and jumping about and I'd like a feather. <laughs> Realisation dawned on her. We need to realise that we have the power of God's Holy Spirit residing living, dwelling in us. Now isn't that awesome? That is, that is who we are. We are, we're built, we're built for speed. <laughs> we're built for power. And I wanted to read you a wee bit, it just came to my mind this morning, Kingsley Armstrong, who by the way is coming to Israel, is going to co-lead the group with me um, in this next summer. Uh, Kingsley wrote this book and here's what he says about the cheetah. This kind of caught me. He says, uh, he, he talks about going to this, this zoo over, I think it was in America. He and the family went to this zoo and there was a sign up about the cheetah. And it says, the sign said, not to 40 miles per hour in three strides. Wow. A second one read, a cheetah can run at speeds up to 70 miles per hour. My goodness, he writes, what, what speed, what agility, what grace. However, says Kingsley, I only saw a cheetah walking around and round an enclosure, looking outside occasionally, but always walking. I never saw one of them running in all of my visits. Can they run? I guess so, but they don't need to. Food is supplied for them. They don't even have to kill it, let alone hunt for it. 
They had made a path and seemed to stick to it. It was obvious where the path was as it was brown and had been worn with a continual circular movement on it from three beautiful wild animals. And as I stood there I wondered had the cheetahs ever run? I'm sure the answer was yes. But I wondered had they ever run at 70 miles per hour? I believe that the Holy Spirit is in you and there's power in you to move at a rate and to do the things that you would never yet imagine that you could do. But have we experienced it? Or are we just walking around the enclosure like the cheetah with all that power? Of it? You know, cheetah, imagine 70 miles per hour. I wonder are we just beating a wee trail round and round and round? And are we content to just know, know the stories in our head? To hear the stories and say, yes, I heard that story before, that's a lovely story. We could do that. And we could do that for the rest of our days. But God wants to let you loose. God wants you to know that he has put his Holy Spirit in you for purpose. To head out on that journey for him. And at times, he'll give you such a burst of power, you'll surprise yourself. You'll be hitting the 70 mile an hour before you know it. You'll be breaking the speed limits. And God wants us to know his power in us. And to, to take the journey and to be part of the big journey that he has planned for us to enjoy. God wants you and he wants me to do that. Because he has redeemed us for purpose. I want to read this last bit to you. God wants you to be a partaker of the heavenly calling and not to miss it. Because of Christ we now carry the presence of Christ in our bodies. We are like walking tabernacles. Everywhere you go you're like a walking tent. Holy Spirit's inside you. Power, light, all this furniture inside that tabernacle is inside you. The light of God's inside you. The power. We can go through all the different furniture in the tabernacle. It's all in you. You've got it all. The light of the world. You've got everything you need there. There was oil for the lamps in there. You've got the oil of the Holy Spirit inside you. God wants you and me to know our calling. To know that we're part of the picture. We are redeemed by the Passover lamb and we're part of God's big redemptive story. And I love what the Amplified Version says. It says, because, and so it says, because of all this, the writer of the Hebrews encourages us to what? Here's what it says. We are members of his house and if we hold our joyful, exultant confidence and sense of triumph in our hope in Christ, this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to be, the Amplified says, joyfully confident. I believe that there's something about lethargy that the energy would try to, that the enemy would try to put around us. He tries to lull us like those animals in the, in the zoo. He tries to make us tame us. And he tries to make us stick in the enclosure and just not think about having to go out to do anything. Just be content with being fed and just going through the motions of our, of our spiritual walk. Listen, God has a path and a walk for your feet and God wants you to know that he has equipped you and given you all that you need. And so today our story is that you are part of a big picture and God's calling you to be part of it. He's saying, come in, be part of it all with Moses and all the Old Testament says, be part of it. Again, to quote Philip, I love what Philip says. Philip says, you know, we're always saying, oh, I'd love to meet Moses and I'd love to meet David. I wonder who I'd want to meet. Maybe I go to Abraham first. You know, we're always looking forward to eternity. Who will we want to talk to? Did we ever think they'll be saying, hey, I want to go and talk to some of them ones that, that lived in 2016? Hey, I want to go and talk to Daphne Mahan because she's running the race. She did a great job. Do we ever think of that? That we have a story. We're living for such a time as this. This is actually a more exciting time than it was back then. Because Christ has been and completed the work. And guess what? The next thing that's happening is he's coming back for us. And we're going to be part of ruling with him throughout eternity. I believe this morning God's saying, Waken up and become partakers of the heavenly calling. Consecrate yourselves. Give yourselves over. Tell the Lord you're his condition, unconditionally. I remember driving down from Inniskill many years ago and saying, God, I'm totally available for you. Please use me. You need to cry that out to God and tell him, Lord, I want you to use me no matter what. Use me and I'm available to you. Here I am. I'm set apart for you. Do what you want to do and you'll be surprised what God will do with your life. Do you believe me? 
Amen. Lord, I thank you that you are a mighty, powerful God. I thank you that you have put within us the Holy Spirit. I thank you that there's more power in us than any wild animal or anything in this universe, that we have the power of the resurrection within us. Lord, that you want us to actually run our race enjoying and experiencing that power in our lives, that we might be partakers of all that you've called us to do and to be for you. Lord, I pray that you would stir us up today, and I pray, O oh God, that this might be a day where, Lord, where something new will happen in lives. You know, this morning in the prayer room, I had such a sense that God wanted to do something special and particular in lives today. And you know, it's possible for you to hear all of this and be like that cheetah in the enclosure and let it go all over your head. Or you can catch it and say, you know what, I want to experience what that's like to live for God in that way. Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you, Lord. I don't want to settle for where I am. I want more of you, Lord, and I want to see you in my life, oh God, and I want to, I want to run this race, Lord, and be part of the big story for you. And I thank you, Lord, that your word says, Lord, that, that we are to tell that story. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Psalm 107, one of the translations says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. You've all got a story. Let Jesus be the hero. Let his power fill you and flood you and continue to run, run that race to tell the story that God is writing in your life. Father, thank you for this morning. We put it into your hands and we praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, we're going to sing that song. We're going to stand and sing it together. It's the same song that we had at the beginning about how we need God. We need him. We can't do this on our own strength. We can't do it in our own ability. We can't do it on our own initiative, our own power. We need God. But praise God, we have everything we need. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the Holy Spirit and we have all the angelic beings here to minister to us and to encourage us to run this race.